great, great, great. Good morning, Family Church. They have a lot of flow, right? <laughs> it's so cool how they play. Uh, welcome to LCC. Uh, welcome to everyone watching online. We are so glad to be here. It's Sunday, June. What day is today? Twelve. 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 <laughs> okay. What we have for today? My name is Armando. Uh, I go to follow the script because I forget. Okay, Armando, check the mic. I check the mic. Uh, welcome announcement. Okay. Um, if you are new here, we have, you have to go to mylcc.info and just fill the form that you are new here. If you want to join a group, uh, where do you go? Mylcc.info. Okay. Woo. Second announcement. Ministry resident. Could you change there? Okay. If you finish college and you say, what are I going to do now? I have nothing to do. I am sleeping all day. Uh, no one wants to offer me a job. We are offering you a job. If you know someone or if you are here today and you want to be part of LCC, uh, just come to someone in the LCC staff or go to? My one more time. Or go to? Great. Third, summer event. And we have a dance for this announcement. Brett, could you help me with the dance? <laughs> we have the Lao Movie Night. It's a Hawaiian theme uh, party that we are yeah. releasing here in June 25th. Are you ready? Yeah. Brad, please, after we finish the service, you have to teach us teach how is the. Ta -na -na -na. <laughs> Lilo and Stitch dance. Okay. Could you please keep stand and worship the Lord like never before, that the people in the 270, remember, can hear us worshiping the good Lord that we have. Have a great morning. Well, Amen. Thanks for being here. Um, really excited, but I do want uh, this today, I want to give a quick, uh, just quick maybe word of warning. Today's topic, as I kind of look around, I think we're all right, but we're going to touch on some spiritual matters today um, that may be sensitive for some people. Um, if you have young kids and you would say, I'm not sure that uh, we, we're going to talk about demons, we're going to talk about the devil, and uh, I want to make sure that everyone's comfortable with that, uh, and, and, and particularly with your children, before we jump into today's topic. So no offense if you get up and walk out now. Later, I'll be offended. <laughs> but if you do it now, all right. So we started a series last week that we're calling Jesus and, we're going to do this throughout the summer. <clears throat> And, um, and this series is rooted in the idea that we have a tendency as people, we tend to just go about living our lives, and then we look for ways to sort of squeeze Jesus into the open areas of our life. Um, and so we'll, we'll tend to say, like, I have a family, and I want Jesus to be a part of it. Or I have a job, and I want Jesus to be a part of it. And what we want to do with this, this summer, we really want to, to pause in these moments. We want to stop, and we want to emphasize and say, we begin with Jesus. What does Jesus say about these things? And then we move out into our world and into our lives from there. And so last week, we began this by talking about temptation. We looked at, we looked at uh, the temptation of Jesus and how he responded. His knowledge of the scriptures allowed him to know the lies of the tempter, of the devil. And, and he responded by, 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 by using the scriptures to refute all the, the temptation of the devil. And, and today, we're going to talk about Jesus and demons, or Jesus and the spiritual life. The spiritual world. Um, we want to avoid sensationalism. I'm not here to, to 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 get into like wild and crazy stories, though there are some. Okay? I can say that in that in my position of working with students for the for the uh, span of about fifteen years, uh, 
I experience things that I just don't have natural explanations for when it comes to, to, to working with students in their spiritual lives. But this is not about that. What this is about is, is it's about the, the way that the, there's a spiritual reality that we live with. Okay? There's always more going on in our world than we just see and we have instrumentation to measure. There's a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual reality that's all around us. We get a lot of our ideas about these things from movies, right? And if, you're, um, if, you're, if you've allowed yourself to watch like The Exorcist, right? And, and just the, the kind of the fear and the struggle for power that, that, that goes on there. And the idea of exorcism even actually um, like historically in the ancient world was a pagan practice. It was a way of controlling and manipulating the spiritual world and, and the things that would go on in the spiritual world that kind of got borrowed by the church over, over the last few, well, now millennia. But, but it, was, it was popularized in the 1970s there. But probably more for us. We see those things that we, we're, you know, we maybe we're scared by them. We, we, there's a whole stream there. But probably, at least for me and my experience, these kinds of movies were the ones that, that touched me more, Right? like Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice that took like the spiritual world and sort of like, like made them kind of fun, jokes, punchlines that, that minimized and left us with like, that's, that's just something to be laughed at or minimized when it comes to our lives. It's not real, it's just fiction, okay? But what are we left with after all this? Like in our culture, when it comes to things, what is the truth about the spiritual world? What's real, okay? What is its impact on us? What do I need to think about when it comes to the spiritual world, when it comes to the, this, these entities that the Bible does refer to as, as, as the d- demonic powers or unclean spirits? The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he says these words. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We saw the devil last week. It was the devil or the word devil is, is translated as the tempter or the schemer that is the one that, that enticed Jesus to sin. And here Paul says, like, like, put on the whole armor of God. There's, there's armor to wear when it comes to our lives so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. He goes on the next verse and says, this is, this is what, where we really want to start today. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against the natural world. That's not our primary point of engagement as followers of Christ. This letter was written to a church in, in the city of Ephesus. It was, it was written to people who had trusted Jesus. Does your... The battle is not, a, it's not an earthly battle. It's a battle against, against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Heavenly places meaning like in the spiritual places, in the places that aren't physical. That really, what's going on here, what, what we're really encountering, what we really face, it's not just the material world. It's not just flesh and blood. It's, there's, there's more to it. And, and, and scholars and theologians have, have read that list and come to different conclusions. Some look at it as just like a laundry list, like just all kinds of um, words synonymous with the spiritual world. Some see that there's maybe some sort of like hierarchical uh, military ranking of those powers. In the end, it doesn't really matter. Either way, the truth is that there are spiritual forces working in unseen ways around us. And it's our objective, when we look back at verse 11, it's our objective to stand against it. To stand against it. Okay? So what do we do with that? How do we, how do we look at that? And the, you may see in the word there, if you're old enough and been around the church long enough, you may see that word, this present darkness in there. 
Okay? The, the author Frank Peretti took those three words and wrote a novel, a fictionalization about the spiritual world and prayer and uh, battles between angels and demons and, and all kinds of things. And it was, it was a nice light read uh, at, the, at the time, and, and, and it's been used ever since. But there's, right? Anyway, some of you got it. Okay. Um, but, but really, probably the most influential book in the last century, in the 20th century, on, on spiritual warfare was, um, and I don't want to hear anything from anybody, but was The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Okay? The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And the very first line, like this is, this is in the preface to the, the Screwtape Letters, this is the first thing that he says. And it's never been truer. Okay? It's never been truer. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, the devils are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. What C.S. Lewis is trying to say is, the devil doesn't care whether or not we, we ignore him and don't believe in him, or if we're so fascinated by him that we wind up like spending all of our time on him, either one of those winds up keeping us from the truth. And Lewis, if, if, again, I think if you want the best look at what spiritual warfare looks like, it would be the Screwtape Letters. He begins his book there. So, so we're going to jump in. In just a few minutes, we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there to Mark chapter 5. But we're going to ask some questions today and ask, quite frankly, like what, what is it with these, with the spirit, these spiritual entities? What, what can they and can't they do? What's going on around? And I think it's important that before we begin this, that we do set a couple things straight. We do set a couple things straight. We're, we're sort of, we get, we get um, saddled with language, language that we didn't choose and language that may not have been the best language to, to articulate what's really going on. And we've been saddled with a word that I'm, I, I want to talk about this morning because it's going to be in our text, but, it's, but I'm going to tell you up front, it's probably not the best translation of, uh, at least not for us in a contemporary <laughs> sense, for what the, the original language says. We've kind of been saddled with this idea of possession. We talk about demon possession. And that, that came to us when the Bible was first translated into English, and it's lasted through contemporary translations because I don't know that we've necessarily, as, as, a, as Christians and as, as New Testament scholars, have landed on a better word. Um, but possession implies ownership. It implies property. And, and I think that that's done us a bit of a disservice, Okay. It's, it's, it has over-fascinated this in ways that may not be helpful to us. The actual Greek word is best probably translated as demonized versus demon-possessed, meaning that there is some level of influence, there is, there is the power of suggestion, and in so, some cases there is control. But control is very different from possession. It's very different from ownership or property. As human beings, we are not property of this realm. Okay? And I think it's important for us to keep that straight up front before we look at this. So when you see the word demon-possessed, it's probably best to think of this as demonized, or, 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 or in, in the case of the person we're going to read here, it is control. But for, for the overwhelming majority of people, it's not control in the sense that we think of here. It's more like influence or suggestion to us. All of these things are possible, influence, control, suggestion, um, they're all, they're all possible, but, they, but again, we want to, I think we want to get away from this idea of ownership. Okay? We want to get away from ownership. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 5. 
Okay, Mark chapter 5, and, and as we get into this, the first thing we want to see is that in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And since we've already read C.S. Lewis, we might as well look at a map. It's probably going to help us. Okay, You're looking at, uh, at, at the land of Palestine in Herod's day. That's a zoomed out view. That's kind of the whole thing. There's different colors that have different regions. If you look at what's in blue up there, that's kind of... That, um, where, where this is going to happen is going to happen at the very top upper left-hand corner of that, which is where the Sea of Galilee is, just to orient ourselves. This is Galilee up in this area. This is the region of Galilee where the arrow is pointing. This is up in, uh, near the Sea of Galilee. Zoomed in, it looks like this, okay, Sea of Galilee. And um, in Mark chapter 4, right before what we just read in verse 1 of chapter 5, um, Jesus and the disciples overnight had gone across the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and there was a major storm. You may know this story as well. It was a major storm, and Jesus is like asleep in the boat, and the disciples are like, we're going to drown. And so they wake him up, and they're like, you don't even care. And he's like, storm, go away, <laughs> right? And the, the storm is stilled, and, they, and he goes back to sleep, and they're like, whoa, what just happened, okay? That happened like last night, okay? And now here they land in Mark chapter 5, okay? So last night he'd stilled a storm, and they associated an awful lot of evil with the storms on the sea, um, but that's a sermon for another day. So here we are in Mark chapter 5, and it tells us, they came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes, okay? Um, this country of the Gerasenes, by the way, this is Gentile country. We're going to see that explicitly in just a little bit, a uh, little well later, but, but this is Gentile country. He has left the region of Jewish, like, faith and ethnicity, and he's moved into non-Jewish, okay? Non-Jewish. So these people would not have been, been looking for the Messiah of the Old Testament. So it says this in verse 2, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That's a demon, okay? He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Let's keep moving. Verse 4, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Here was this guy, here was this guy who had all of these things going on, and, and, and the, the people in, where he lived in this region, they would have had a lot of pagan gods, and in all honesty, they're probably, probably a scene, scenes like this would not have been that uncommon to them, okay, if we read our first century history as well. There were people like this. Today, we would probably say that they're mentally ill, okay, that they're mentally ill. But he sent the, the, the people in the area had sent this guy away, and he winds up, winds up living in the tombs. Now, this is not that unusual a story even in the New Testament, okay, or in, in the Old Testament. Um, we see this description. There's sort of indications of, of demonization, indications of demonic control. Um, we see this in 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We see similar things, the shouting and the cutting. You see this uh, in, in other stories in the Gospels. In fact, this story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It tells us, actually, in the different Gospels, it gives us a little bit of other details about this. This man was unclothed. He was, he was stark, raving mad, right? We also see this, other stories in the Gospels. What we see in Acts chapter 16, we see a young girl afflicted with a demon that allowed her, gave her the ability to tell the future. We see in Acts chapter 19, there's, there's the, the sons of Siva and this whole story about, about demonic control. The more that the gospel penetrated into pagan areas, the more and more this kind of activity was seen and witnessed. But there's some common threads that you see with all of these encounters, okay? 
some indicators of, of demonization. There's a disregard for dignity. Again, Matthew's gospel talks about this man being naked, unclothed. There's social isolation. People that are, because of, of probably, the, probably the demonization came first, but now there's social isolation. A retreat to basic survival, that living kind of like an animal. Okay, that's a, that's a common sort of indicator in the scriptures. There's also right smack in the dab, right smack dab in the middle of this, there's a recognition of Jesus. There's uncontrolled speech, anguish, shouting, extraordinary strength. There may be others that, that, that people will recount that, that aren't necessarily indicated here, nightmares, visions. People have reported temperature changes, convulsions, loss of bodily function. Okay? We look at these things and we can, we can look at them and sort of say, gosh, you know, we see some indications of these things. I mentioned mental illness, but we see some of these things that, that we might look at today and diagnose, maybe not as demonic, but we might diagnose them differently, maybe some symptoms of some substance abuse. And some of these things are interchangeable with those things. It's easy to oversimplify. It's easy to look at what's going on and to simply say it's just this. It's just one thing or it's just another. It's easy in our world to say, well, it's that, what we're, what we're ex- experiencing with this person is just a, a mental issue. What we're experiencing with this person is just a substance abuse, a chemical thing. What we're experiencing is maybe in teens, ju- it's just prefrontal cortex under development, right? We may say that. We may, we may be on the hunt for one explanation, one key that we can turn that unlocks what's going on with people. But we need to come to an understanding that nothing is ever just. I think that's what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 6. Nothing's going on is ever just one thing or just another. We are embodied people. Our bodies, clearly, there are physical things that go on with us. That, that, that body has chemistry. <laughs> clearly, there are chemical things that go on with us. But we are not just bodies. We are spirits as well. And there are things that go on in us and around us that, that impact us. And we need to come to that realization. So what do we do about it? Let's keep reading. That's sort of where we find ourselves. Where do we go from here? Keep reading. Mark chapter 5, verse 6. And it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, this, this man, when he saw him from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, he, now Jesus saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, remember, right in the middle of that list, there were kind of the things that we might have, have recognized <clears throat> off the bat, things that we typically identify as, oh, yeah, that doesn't look right. That doesn't check out. There's something going on, something wrong in, in and around with this person. But right in the middle of that list, there was this recognition of Jesus. And I want to get this right, okay? One way, one way. I think that we can be certain that there's something going on that is spiritual in nature and more than just physical more than just our bodies, is that, is that every time we encounter a spiritual entity in the scriptures, that spiritual entity acknowledges and recognizes who God is and who Jesus is in light of the one true God. 
it is, it, is, it is my belief based on the reading of scriptures and, and others who study these things as well that, that the, the demonic world cannot deny the reality of who Jesus is. They're unable, they're incapable of actually denying who Jesus is. And so we see this man, even in the midst of, of his, his demonized life, he's crying out with a loud voice and saying, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? One way to sort of make a distinction, to understand is, is what's happening with, with me or with a person, is what's going on here. Is this spiritual or is it physical? Is it primarily one or the other? One is, what's going on with Jesus? Is there a recognition there that Jesus is real, has power, is in control? We need to keep reading to get to some more answers. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. That is not what you want to hear. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This is crazy, right? This pronoun game is a mess because you have an individual, a man, a human being, who is demonized in a way that some of the things we talked about, there's, there's involuntary speech, there's self-harm. And so as Jesus is speaking, you hear this name of this entity named Legion or maybe entities just saying, forget about any one of us individually, there's too many to count. The word legion would have come with, with, with a, a military connotation, right? Would have come with a military connotation. Um, a, a Roman legion was maybe as many as 6,000 troops. It was strong. If the Romans wanted to send a, a force into an area to subdue any sort of uprising, they would send in a legion of soldiers, right? And so there's this implication that this man had t- been tormented by not just a demonic force, but many. They ask, uh, they ask here, begged Jesus earnestly, truth, truly, not to be sent out of the country. Country may not be the best word. It could be out of the territory. It could be sort of out of the realm. Um, it, it very well could be that, that uh, you know, there were, there were orders that in, in, this, in the demonic world, in the spiritual world, orders to stay in that area that they didn't want to disobey. That's one theory. Another is that they didn't want to be thrown into the abyss, as written in Revelation 20, like, they didn't want to be thrown into the abyss to, to, to eternal um, separation. But whatever it is, it doesn't tell us here exactly, but, but there's this request, okay? Don't send us out of the country. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs, this is one way we know that this was Gentile territory, right? One pig would have told us it wasn't Gentile territory, but a herd of pigs, or that it was Gentile territory. Um, verse 11, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him. Now, the, the, here's our prayer again. The, the demonic voices, are beg, they beg him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Keep reading. Verse 13, so he, Jesus, gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the, uh, pigs and the, herd, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, 2,000 pigs, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay? This is bizarre, right? This is not what, you, what, we, what we expect to see in our daily uh, occurrence, or, uh, like I, I've never witnessed this in person. I've never seen anything like this, right? But the, so, so it says the demons entered the pigs and destroyed them immediately and get that right, okay? Get that right. The intent, the purpose of the demonic force was to destroy, 
That's another consistent sign to destroy. Whatever its host was, the intent was to destroy. I think why did Jesus, we could ask the question, why did Jesus allow this to happen with the pigs? I don't think he was making a statement on kosher foods. Okay? My guess would be, my guess would be that, that Jesus allowed this because this was a powerful sign that the demons had truly left this man, had entered something else and, and forced this activity of destruction. It's the best guess. This is a sign of Jesus' power to, to command or allow the demons to do uh, something. They weren't acting on their own or they weren't acting unsupervised. Verse 14. So the herdsmen, <clears throat> they fled and told in the city and in the country. Told it in the city and the country. And people came out to see what it was that had happened. So this, this drew a crowd. Okay? And they came to Jesus. This is now the Sounds like the herdsman, but they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. It says, they were afraid. That checks out, right? <laughs> that checks out. Here's this guy who'd been not in his right mind probably for as long as these people could remember. These herdsmen. And they had their pigs in the area, and he was always around. Um, I visited, uh, my wife and I visited Long Beach, California, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. <clears throat> and there was a man on the sidewalk with his pants in his hand, waving him around and screaming. And we were with some friends, and they said, oh, he's just the Long Beach barker, right? They were like, he's there all the time, okay? I imagine that the herdsman had probably become so accustomed to this guy that he was kind of like the Long Beach barker. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't even really pay much attention to him anymore. He's always there. He's always doing that. He's the crazy, okay? So they were so accustomed to it, but now something had changed, right? The crazy guy is now seated. He's in his right mind. And there's multiple ways to look at this. Jesus had a viewpoint on it, but these guys were afraid. That's power, right? Remember what this guy had been doing? He'd been breaking chains and shackles, ripping them apart. And now he's sitting. He's in his right mind. He's clothed. Remember those indications of demonization? They're gone. There's no indication here. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened, those who'd come along who hadn't seen it, described to, uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Notice this. Notice what happens here. So this man is freed from the tormenting spirits. He's freed from the tormenting spirits. And those who saw it were afraid. Like, this, is a, this is a display of power. This is, this is jarring. And those who hadn't seen it are told about it. And their response is that they just want Jesus to go away. They wanted, they wanted to be left alone. They wanted the status quo. They wanted life to go on uninterrupted. We don't... Whatever it is that you're doing, we don't want it here. Even though the crazy guy is gone, so are the pigs. And we want you to go. So verse 18, he does it as he was getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him. That's the man who had been demonized. That's our P word. The man who had been demonized begged him that he might be with him. He might go with Jesus. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, the demonized man, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. This is strange, and it's not our point today, but it's a little interesting because, because in the rest of the book of Mark, Jesus does some miraculous things, but he often says, shh, don't tell anybody, okay? But that's in and amongst the Jews. But this guy, he says, ah, go tell everybody. I don't want you hanging around with me. I want you, I want you to be like, this, is, this guy might be the first like, missionary to the Gentiles, okay? Um, so, so, so probably what's going on here, why, like why doesn't Jesus take him with him? Isn't it good to be with Jesus? And well, it is good to be with Jesus, but it's also good to have the freedom of Jesus and to go out, okay? Um, so, so there's sort of competing values there. But, but it's also fascinating that amongst the Jews, Jesus was sort of like trying to mute these things, trying to kind of keep the lid on them, because the Jews would have had like a political agenda with this. If, if, if these things were happening in these same ways amongst the Jews and the word was getting out, and this did happen that, that over time, that Jesus would be seen as the Messiah, that, and that was for many of those people a political thing. The folks on the other side of Galilee in this region, okay, they, they didn't have all that baggage. And so they, they would have seen this. They would have heard this story, okay, and, and it would have been like good news to them in a way that wouldn't have, have impacted the, uh, the coming story of Jesus. And so it wraps up this way in verse 20. It says, and he went away, this is the man, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the region, it was 10 Greek cities influenced by Greek culture, to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. He had an impact, okay? He had an impact. So, so here's our story, okay? And it's more than just a story, right? It's more than, certainly for the man who was demonized, it's more than just a story. This man had been bound by these by these evil spirits, and now he's set free. His life was changed. He came to witness, he became, he becomes a witness to the goodness and the freedom of Jesus. But what do we do with the encounter? When it comes to the spiritual world in us, what are some things that we can hang on to? And so I'm just going to, I want to touch on a few things from this story that I think are pertinent for us. The first one is this, and we, we hit on this with Ephesians 6, we'll say it again, don't deny the reality of demonic influence. Don't deny the reality of demonic influence. It's tempting. It's easy to ignore it and pretend that it isn't real. Right? That's more convenient. So it's easy to just sort of like, no, I don't, I don't, I choose to not think about that. And by choosing not to think about it, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to anything with it. However, However, to do so is to deny the reality of the world in which we live. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these powers. We live, we live in a culture where we assume that everything has a natural cause and explanation, that there's some natural cause for this, but this is, that's a deception. I, I, I recall... In, one encounter where I, in the Dominican Republic, I witnessed something with this, in this realm. Okay? If, you've, if you've traveled outside of our culture, you're much more likely to have seen things like this in places where there's much more of an openness to the spiritual world. Sort of like if you were a Jew living in Galilee who crossed the lake of the sea and went over to the land of the Gerasenes, where there was much more paganism going on. And um, I saw, just an encounter that with, with a young man, I was... Were several of us involved, um, and, and and it's not about the encounter, but it is about. I want to. I share that just to say this. The very next day, I was having a conversation with another adult on the trip. He happened to be a physician, 
And I, I said, we've got to keep praying for this young man, and we've got to. And this physician, less than 24 hours later, simply said, oh, he'll be fine. He just, he just had an episode. And I thought, oh, this is uh, someone I would still call. This is a mature follower of Christ. This is someone who's, who's a leader in their church community. This is someone that, that I, I would really say, like, man, they've, they've, they've got their theological I's dotted and their T's crossed, and their explanation for what they had witnessed was very different from mine. They saw it just a, a natural explanation. They didn't have a category or a framework to say that the spiritual world is real and active. And the more influence we allow, the more, the more suggestion we take, the more that, it, that that influence grows to the point where we saw much of what is described in this passage. And it may be... <clears throat> It may be for many of us that we're not experiencing those kinds of signs. And remember Lewis's, um, Lewis's binary uh, picture of, of the, the materialist versus the magician. We may, be, we may be experiencing life as materialists. We may not be seeing it because it's best for the spiritual world to win the battle to be concealed. But ask yourself, what are you tempted by? What am I tempted by? Why? Why, what, are, what are my weaknesses, and why, do I, why am I having the same recurring weaknesses over and over again? Why does there seem to be a link between the cycles of my sinful patterns and the trauma of my past? Don't deny it. Don't deny it. Don't ignore spiritual answers. It's why in the practical world, if you're struggling in, in, in these areas, counseling is great, but, but Christian counseling where the name of Jesus is central and powerful matters. It's important that we, that we examine all possibilities when it comes to these issues in our life. We need to keep moving. The second big thing I would say, and this is the flip side of this, right? Is trust the truth of Jesus as the power over the demonic world. Trust the truth of Jesus as the power over the demonic world. Um, you see, um, those of us who know Jesus and are filled with the Spirit of God we also should know that we don't need to be afraid. Jesus wins, right? In the story of the, the man who's, who's, who's uh, afflicted with the, the unclean spirits here, in the story, the, the, the demonic forces, though they were strong from human perspective, had no power when it came to Jesus. They needed his permission to enter the pigs. You see, Jesus is the answer to the, to the issue of, the, of spiritual power. He, because he holds all of it. Any level of, of demonic influence in our lives is dependent upon faith in Jesus. These are the facts. That when we trust Jesus, the, the devil must, the, the, the tempter, the schemer must depart. That's why in Ephesians 6, the rest of the passage goes on and it gives these, these, this armor, this spiritual armor, and, and it talks about the breastplate of righteousness and shoes that are prepared with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But the very first thing it says in that passage is to put on the belt of truth. A belt does not, I mean, I guess a belt is important given certain articles of clothing, but a belt does not strike me as the most powerful weapon in war. 
But Paul mentions it first and says, wear this belt. It's the belt of truth because you see the deal with the, deal with the spiritual world is this. It is not a struggle for power. It is not a struggle for power. The devil has no power compared to Jesus. It's a struggle for truth. Will we believe and trust that Jesus has the power? Will we call on him? Or are we just going to try and make a go of it on our own? Are we going to try and overcome our struggles through, through uh, willpower? I could, if I could, I'm just going to build better patterns. This is where we wind up. Look at this last idea. There's one more thing in this. That's, those first two are about like us and the spiritual world and as we inter, in, engage and, and, and what we may or may not be experiencing when it comes to evil spirits. But I think this is important too. And it's that the impact of demonic influence extends beyond the person who may be influenced or demonized. Notice what happened in the story. It's a bit tougher to understand, but notice what happened in the story. The man was expressing all the outward signs. The man, the man with the, the legion of demons was experiencing all the outward signs. But the people in the surrounding area were just sort of content to let it go on. They had a life that was their own. And he was just over there, and we're not too worried about it. But Jesus comes in, and by disrupting the, the sort of spiritual status quo, it has an impact on them. The pigs are gone. That For some of them, that's their livelihood. For many of them, it probably created a supply chain problem for them when it came to getting their bacon. Okay? And we can read it and focus on the demonized man, but what about those who just wanted Jesus to leave, to leave them alone? It's easy to read this story and assume that, that only the one man had a spiritual problem. But the people of the land had a spiritual problem of their own. They wanted things left alone, and we, we do too in many ways, right? We say, you know, nothing can, the, the problems of people who are, are struggling are too big. There's nothing to be done about it. <clears throat> it's hopeless. Maybe we say, like, you know what, we're just better off to just sort of like, I, I, I like the old way of like, just like, let's just pretend it's not happening. I would say, like, there's got to be some other answer. There's got to be some answer besides spiritual struggles, spiritual realities. The New Testament scholar D.A. Carson said about those people, he said, they cared about pigs more than people. They cared about the pigs more than they cared about the man. And I think that at times, I do too. I'm not seeing the impact of the, I mean, again, to my own struggle, I'm not seeing the impact of the, the spiritual world the same way that we might read about it in this passage. So I assumed that the spiritual world is having no impact on me. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Because I think there's an awful lot of things that I prefer to people. They prefer their pigs to people, but I think there's a lot of things that I prefer to people. I prefer my convenience to other people. And if that convenience gets disrupted because someone is getting right spiritually, that bothers me, and I want them to go away. Get in your boat and get out of here. 
We might care about pleasure. We might say, just, it's, you know, leave, leave me alone. If I'm, I feel good at the moment. Don't tell me, don't tell me about, about the, 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 the spiritual realities of my, my addictions to, to sin and pleasure and pornography. I don't care about that. Just stay away. It's fine. I've got it. But when those, when those things get threatened, we start to lash out. We cry out in anguish. We might cut ourselves, maybe figuratively, but for some, maybe literally, when our strongholds are threatened. We might, just, we might care about the economy more than people. I don't care if, I don't care if it helps people. What's it going to do to my bank account? We might care about our politics more than people. I don't care that people are dying. What's it have to do with my rights? So am I going to have to give up my rights to see people live and flourish? We might care about our devices and our social media and the, the constant strain. We might care about all those things. And in so doing, we convince ourselves that the spiritual problems are someone else's problem, not mine. No, 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 it's just them over there and their issue. But you see, the people of the land had their own spiritual issues. And it boiled down to the fact that they preferred pigs to people. What is it for us? What is it for you that you prefer to people? Because that's spiritual. It's all spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against these principalities and powers and spiritual forces. Would you consider that question? Would you give it to Jesus? Well, I can't wait to have groups this week. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're, um, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm struck by, how blissfully unaware I am of what's going on in my world and yet confused or deluded into thinking that I see it, that I get it because I'm, I'm tuned in or I'm reading the right things. But God, would you, would you help us? Would you open our eyes? Would you show us what you're doing? And God, it's easy for us to be afraid But Jesus, we know that you have victory. You've, you have all the power. That anything that we see or we encounter, or we witness, that you have already won. That the end of all spiritual realities are the same. And so we ask Jesus that we could rest in who you are. We thank you for your protection for us. That that you, that you carry us, that you embolden us. In spirit, we, we also ask for your strength and peace and comfort when it comes to our lives. But we, we ask for you to show us, to convict us, to, to reveal the things that we care about that, that um, are insignificant when it comes to 
who Jesus is and what he's done for us and can do for others. So God, make us not afraid. Jesus, give us uh, your life and your strength. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, we thank you for, for who you are and what you've done. We pray that you be with us as we leave this place, God. Fill us with your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Mark June 25th on your calendar. It's going to be a fun night together. We'll see you. Have a great rest of your week.